James chapter 3, if uh, you're visiting with us, we're really glad you're here this morning. Um, and our, our hope and prayer is that you're able to connect with God this morning in worship and, and from his word. And, and we know it can be awkward sometimes visiting and, and how do you meet people and how does this all start. And, and we want you to know we're, we're waiting for you, we're expecting you, and we're really glad you're here this morning. We've been going through a, a series out of the book of James, and it's a letter. It's towards the end of the New Testament, if you have your Bibles. And uh, we've just been kind of going through a little, the section at a time and taking each uh, theme as it comes. And today we're in chapter 3, uh, verse 1. And uh, it, it's a story, the, it's a story where the early church had just been really established, and James is writing a letter to the church about a number of different things that were going on. And, and one of the problems that we'll see here today is that the teaching that was happening within that early church wasn't good teaching. And uh, it leads him to make a statement here today where he says, not many of you should become teachers. Uh, it reminds me of a story. I was, it was my first preaching class at seminary. And um, this is, man, this is like, 20, over 20 years ago. This is getting old. Um, I'm getting old, I should say. Uh, and I, I remember the class because uh, what the professor would do, I had like three of them throughout my time. There were four different preaching classes. And the format on this class was we had about 10 to 15 people in the class. And you would give a 10-minute message on a passage and in front of the whole class, and at the end of the class, the, student would, the students there would all interact and say, hey, this is what we liked, this is what we didn't like, and the teacher would give his uh, summary statement at the end. And um, so he had a list of passages there, I remember that, and he said, you could pick whichever one you want out off of this list to preach. And so I, I picked uh, a passage, and uh, I, I mean, I've read it, it was right there, you could look and see, and I said, oh, I'll pick this one, this looks good. And, and it was Genesis 6. Well, Genesis 6 is a story where humanity basically falls off the moral cliff, and that's the whole chapter where God and Noah have their little conversation, we're going to build a boat and flood the earth, and you know, the whole thing, press reset on this whole thing. But the text itself says that God repented from making humanity. And so I was, I took that passage, like, I'm going to get all into this, and this is great, and I was all excited, this is my first one, and, you know, uh, and I just, you know, I had visions, I'm praying to it, Lord, bring revival, bring revival to this classroom, they need Jesus, and, and uh, you know, you have these visions, that's, it's a warped mind of, of a preacher, um, and uh, so we get there, and I'm all amped up, and I, I teach. I do my little preaching thing 10 minutes, and I talk about how, uh, you know, God repented, and I explain this whole thing, and God made a mistake and all this. And, and so at the end, we, you know, it, proper ways, everybody raise their hands, and the person who just preached calls upon whoever raises their hand. Well, <laughs> I think everybody in my class raised their hand. And this one guy, I, I remember him to say, because I really admired him. He was, he was just a really cool guy. And I, I just thought, man, if I could even be like half the communicator this guy is, because he was amazing. He's been in ministry for like 15 years. And I, I wonder why he was even in a class. Um, he was really good. And so I called on him because he was really nice to me. So, um, so I said, yeah, what, you know, you know what, what do you got? And he said, well, Scott, he's like, um, I just want to clarify something. Um, did you, did you mean to say that God made a mistake? And if you did, do you understand the implications of that statement? 
Because if God made a mistake, then God's imperfect. And if God's imperfect, then we got a real problem on our hands. And when he finished saying that, it was like maybe 30 seconds. Literally, I think every other hand went down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm in deep trouble. And I'm like, uh, I guess revival's off the table at this point. Uh, you know, I was thinking conferences, books. When I saw all the hands up, I thought, this is great. This is going to happen. And at that point, I'm just like, can I phone a friend? Um, you know, ask for outside help. James says something. He says, not everyone should be teachers. And there was a moment there where I thought, should I even be doing this? Now, James writes this because the church had teachers in it that were saying, hey, it, it, it's great, yeah, believe in Christ, faith in Christ, that's awesome, but it doesn't really have to change or, or transform your cultural values and the way you look at people so you can keep all the discrimination and you can keep all the value judgments and you can keep all that social strata. That's fine. Doesn't matter. And so you saw this church being ripped apart because of teachers teaching it was okay and so James all through chapter 2 is trying to correct the teaching that is messed up teaching and then he gets to chapter 3 and he sends this I mean it is a powerful statement not many of you should become teachers owl And he's reading this, or the, it typically was read aloud, so the teachers he's talking about, most likely some of them are reading this. And everybody's like, oh, that's him, her. Now the position of teacher in that culture, if you come out of a Jewish background, that, the position was rabbi, right? And that was this highly revered, highly respected position. And, and there's a story here. I was just background. This is crazy background story. Uh, there was this social expectation, social mores of the time that, you know, sometimes people were kidnapped and held for ransom. So let's say in a, a particular synagogue, some people were kidnapped and the rabbi was kidnapped along with them and, and they were held ransom. The family member who, or the family members who had you know, their family member kidnapped, the expectation was on them to actually ransom the rabbi first before the family. I know what you're all thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. You would never do that for me. <laughs> Ever. And it's, it's the last thing on my mind. I wouldn't want it, and, and you wouldn't do it. Now, you may have some family members you'd like to have stay in captivity. We can work that out. But who would do that? What, what person would allow that to happen? Talk about a lot of guilt, especially the people who don't survive. No thanks. But that's the level of honor that culture gave to teachers. We still have a level of honor, a code of honor, the unspoken rule about honoring teachers. There, there's still a level of respect to some degree, depending on where you are. Still has something there. But James says, 
do not, or not many, rather, should become teachers. Why? He says, because they will be judged with greater strictness. Slow down there. A teacher within the body of Christ will be judged with greater strictness. James is saying there, there's a, a different standard if you want to teach. And that standard says slow down aspirations of any who would want to teach. It's a higher standard. Why is there a greater strictness? Why is there a higher standard? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. First of all, the teacher is entrusted in, in, in this context with telling people who God is and what God says. That's a big responsibility. Telling someone who God is and what he's up to and what he says and being that mouthpiece for God, that is a huge position of influence. Incredibly huge. Now, if you read through the Old Testament and especially as you get to the New Testament, you'll see that God says over and over again that he sent someone to teach or he appointed someone to teach or set apart this person to teach. I mean, this is the way God works. He, he actually designed it this way. And so he sends people into these positions and there's this sense of authority like, oh, okay, you, you know God and you know what he's saying to us right now. Huge position of influence. Second part of that, it's, not, it's a higher standard because of the position of the teacher. It's also a higher standard because of the expectation God places on those who are being taught. Those who are the students, those who are the followers, because he expects his people to listen and follow and respect and submit to the teacher. We place ourselves under people. That's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. You put those two together in a toxic situation, and that is just disaster waiting to happen. The submission isn't necessarily blind submission. That's not what Christ would have happen, blindly just trusting. But that's often what you see happen in history. Because there is something inside of us that, that needs to be led and desires to be led in a healthy way. But when it's unhealthy, you have stories that, you know, we know we have our stories as a nation. Jim Jones, people following him to their death. David Koresh. David, I mean, Koresh, he, he said he was, you know, had the Bible somewhere in there. Now, those are extremes, but we've seen this stuff play out in our church. We've seen it play out here. You may have seen it played out in your church and in your past. People come in and they would say, I'm, I'm called by God to teach, which they might be, but there's a level of immaturity or there's a, or there, or there's a reality that they're ill-equipped. They, they don't know really who God is and what he says. 
and, and they may not even be called by God. And, and what you see is people seize the influence of the position, and whether it's for their own ambition and their own name, or whether it's for greed or for whatever, and it gets all twisted. And so you have that, that whole thing of what does it look like to be under someone and it's not blind trust, or how does that work? And on the other side, you have some others who may be healthy and a teacher gets in a position, but it's almost impossible to confront them. In fact, the teacher himself or herself becomes unteachable, ironically. You can't challenge them. You can't confront them. And that happens a lot in the church. And, and if a teacher doesn't acknowledge the dynamic and the danger of, of this influence, it can go toxic really quick. I think a great example in the American church just recently is Mark Driscoll. And, and I'm not calling Mark to task because Mark wrote a letter of apology and it's very public what he did. And he owned it in a public way. But Mark Driscoll is, is a pretty well-known pastor among pastor circles. I don't know if you've, you've heard of him. He led a church, planted a church called, called Mars Hill Church. Started it from zero out in Seattle. The thing just blew up. And at its height, it was about 13,000 people. That was attending his church. I think he had up to 20,000 church plants and everybody that was a part of the whole uh, organization or movement uh, of Mars Hill. But Mark, Mark was, a, I think, probably one of the best teachers I've ever heard. He's an incredible teacher. But the problem is Mark grew arrogant and Mark got filled of ambition. I mean, this guy was writing books. This guy was at all the right conferences and always being asked to speak and his thoughts. And, but Mark grew very arrogant and unapproachable. And, and he chronicles, and not only that, all the staff that was under him chronicle how devastating his words were to his staff. People that would confront him, he would crush them. I mean, grind them down, destroy them. And he had a pattern of doing that for years and years and years. And the elders wouldn't call him to task, wouldn't bring any discipline, wouldn't enforce it because he came, became too famous of a teacher. How do you pull him off of his pedestal without destroying everything until the, finally it came down to God just took everything away. He lost his church. He lost all his book deals. He lost all his speaking engagements. He lost everything. Became too big. Actually, too arrogant and unteachable. And there's a high standard for anyone who would want to be in teaching. And Mark, of all people, knew it. He wrote a letter of apology. It's interesting. He lost everything. The entire elder board that served under him resigned because of their failure to hold this teacher accountable. It's a high standard. When you read in the New Testament, especially the stories of Jesus, he got hopping mad at teachers that he saw and their behavior. James was his brother. He saw this stuff happen. I imagine he was there when Jesus said this. All the disciples were around, and he just railed on the teachers. He said this, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes 
and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. He makes no bones about it. Jesus says he prophesies condemnation. Not to talk about a higher standard. He says, no, they are going to be condemned. And James says, let no one or not many of you become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He comes back to this point of time. I think he has in mind, you can know, I think he, he has in mind Jesus and, and the things that Jesus said and how angry he got. And James is saying, no, there, there is a greater strictness. And behind that, there is this threat. There is a threat of condemnation. That there is this wrath of God, and this isn't about eternal security. This is about the wrath of God that is poured out when teachers abuse this position. Whether it's teaching a corrupt message or abusing those with their power and influence. God's wrath comes. And with all this in the air, James goes on and he writes this. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, one of the things that's interesting that happens in verse 2, if you read James 1 and James 2, the personal pronoun used the most is you or y'all. And all of chapter 2, it's y'all. Y'all are messed up. Y'all are, and, and he's talking about these teachers and these people that are living this way of life. You, 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 you're messing it up. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then he gets into chapter 3. He says, not many of you should be teachers. There's a greater standard, higher standard, stricter standard. But we know that we all stumble. He changes the pronoun. It's actually one of those things you could circle. It's huge. It, it goes off like this bright light. And eh, eh, eh. James is all of a sudden saying, we all stumble. And I love that. We know that we all stumble. We uns. Every single one of us. He's saying every teacher at some point has spoken or said things that were just dumb, wrong, offensive. We all stumble in some way, and we say things that we shouldn't have said. And he goes on to say, you know, if anyone can bridle his tongue or, you know, not stumble in what he says. He's perfect. He's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. The reality is nobody's ever done that except for Jesus. And what's crazy is God has chosen fallen people like me and many of you to teach. People who stumble in what they say. And it's in this moment that James, James turns the whole conversation. We got this stricter standard over your higher calling. And yet James says, but we all stumble, and we all know it. A great example is last week when I'm preaching this message, 
the message was on uh, works and faith and how uh, Paul, who's this major figure in the New Testament and wrote a lot of the New Testament, said, you know, it is faith without works. And then we're in James, last chapter, chapter two, and James says, no, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's faith and works. And we were talking about how, how those two are like, uh, and church history is like, uh, and they're fighting and there's this huge argument and everything. In this service, in the first service, I made a point to come back around and I, I, mean, I had it in my text and I made a very clear point to say, hey guys, you gotta understand though, both these guys were inspired by God. Both these guys are right. In fact, both of these guys agree. This all agrees, there's no fight. It all works together. Well, I didn't say that in the second service. Kind of a small thing to leave out. I had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, in a gracious way, I mean, and in a very kind way, somebody in their 20s, which I wasn't even thinking about this stuff like this, and, and he said, can you, can you tell me what you believe about inspiration, the inspiration of scripture? I'm like, that's a great question. I'm a big fan of it. And they said, well, that didn't come across in the message. I'm like, well, yeah, I had that in my notes. He's like, well, you didn't, you didn't communicate that. And I'm like, ooh. That's not good. That's not good at all. We all stumble. We all stumble when we teach. And sometimes we say things we ought, and sometimes we don't say the things we ought. And it's not, hopefully, Lord willing, it's not by intention. Sometimes it is, and then you get called on the carpet, and you've got to apologize. And you come the next week, sometimes you get that luxury of saying, I messed up. Big fan of inspired word of God. Inerrant word. I remember in Missoula, it was uh, one of my first messages there, and, and I preached, and it wasn't heresy, um, borderline heresy. Um, I, I said something in the service, and I had, it was the first service, we had two, so then I had the train come in the second, so I was like, oh no. And I had an older guy, godly guy, just filled with grace, filled with love. Like, he's just like one of the nicest guys. Like, how could you ever be enemies with this guy? but he knew the Bible. Like, he didn't need it. He just had it memorized kind of guy. He said, hey, Scott, did you realize the implications that you said this and A, B, and C? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I did. He goes, yeah. I said, well, that's not good. He goes, no, that's not good. I'm like, well, what do I do? Like, do we, I, I mean, we got to correct. I said, I can I can correct it for the second service, but what do we do with the first service? And he goes, don't worry about it. And he said something I'll never forget. He says, where there are many words, there are bound to be failings. And I'm like, that was so nice of you to say that. Thank you. We all stumble. And I love what James says here. It's an invitation to humility. Anyone who wants to teach you must have in mind, you are broken. You are fallible. Jesus isn't. Praise the Lord. His word isn't. But we can be wrong. And the teacher must always, 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 always be teachable, approachable. And so what's the church to do? You look in church history, when, when teachers abuse their position, 
There's any number of things that can happen in church history. One of them is the church overreacts and we say, all right, nobody's teaching, everybody out of the pool, out. Only the people who have, you know, a gazillion hours of Bible training with a bunch of titles behind their name can teach. That's it. Can't trust anybody else. They call that the professionalization of the body of Christ. It destroys what scholars talk about is the priesthood of every believer. And that God chooses and God calls people to teach from all walks of life, male or female, race doesn't matter, education doesn't matter. I've seen people who have never darkened the doorway as well as you of a, a school or a college or higher learning whatever who could teach circles around people who've been to school and have degrees. You have to be very careful about how you react to this. Can't overcorrect. There's something to be said for education, yes. There's something to be said for the accountability, yes. And an ordination process, we talk about that here. They're guarding the gate of those who have influence. You've got to do that. You can't sacrifice the priesthood of the body of Christ and how God calls people, though. You just can't. So if you're a teacher... And I, I wonder if some of you are thinking, well, you know, what counts and what kind of teaching you're talking about? Well, he just says teacher. That's a big gate. So if you teach children, this applies to you. And that's scary, right? But how many of us in here could point to a conversation we had with a Sunday school teacher and when they talked about God and, and talked about who Jesus was or said it in such a way, it clicked with us and it changed our understanding of God and really our relationship with God. And, and really what you're talking about is the balance of eternity was at stake right there and they were used by God to shift it. That's incredible influence. And if you teach little kids, do not underestimate that influence. And don't be afraid to teach. It's a good thing. It's, it's designed by God. Don't freak out now. Like, oh, great. <laughs> Higher standard and sign up for that. Ah. It's all right. We all stumble. Humility. And grace. If you teach the student ministry, whether it's relevant or junior high or high school, that, that's teaching. If you teach in one of our community groups, that's, that's teaching. If you teach one of our classes, that, that's teaching. If you're, if you're teaching and mentoring these, this small group, a little smaller group, that, that all counts. It's all teaching. It's a diverse definition. And what I want to do is just pray for those who teach. So if you teach here within the body of Christ, if you teach in our schools, at a college level, at, at high school, grade school, outside the, the community of Christ, but out in the community, I want you to stand too. We're gonna, I'm going to stand and we will pray for you. I'm going to pray God's blessing on you. You're looking at me like, do I stand right now? Yes, yeah, starting right now. Stand. Yeah. Yeah. 
if you could agree with me, if you're close and you know them and, and you got the whole touching thing, some people have boundary issues, so, but if you know them and, and feel that freedom, I invite you to lay hands on someone that's next to you and join me and agree with me as we pray for these teachers. Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every person here who is teaching and those who are actually teaching right now that aren't in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would confirm the call you have on them for this season of life to teach. I pray that you would bless them right now with a joy that comes from serving you, that this teaching isn't as much about them as much as it is you have called them to it, and I pray that they would have a joy in this, Lord, the joy that comes from serving you, the joy that comes from giving you glory. I pray it would fill them up. They would enjoy this, Lord. Give them new ways to enjoy it, new thoughts about how to enjoy it and, and that experience, Lord. Just do that for them. I pray for those who are, for right now, Lord, it is grinding it out and it's difficult. It's a season of life. It's, it's A, B, and C. Lord, I don't know. I pray for those where it is hard right now. Would you come and would you lift the load? Would you show them that you have got this? And would you give them spiritual words Spiritual understanding. Old-fashioned word is illumination. Illumine. Light up the word for them. Make it come alive for them. Help them make it come alive in the classroom. In their homes. And Lord, I pray for a power to come on them. A boldness to come on them that's only from you. Lord, that, that, that anointing that takes us beyond just themselves and makes it something supernatural, I pray that for them. I pray that that would be the mark of their teaching is just the, the anointing power and presence of God on them and what they say. Amen. Be seated. Another thought to, to think through as we talk about this, not many should become teachers, and this higher standard is what does it look like to be a student? What does it look like to be someone who listens and hears and, and is under a teacher in the body of Christ? And in our church, um, we are big fans of using this, this metaphor of having our gate down. And the gate is, prevents anything from coming into our whole being without first filtering it through the word of God, church history, those things. We do not encourage someone to follow blindly. We just don't. We want people to think through these things and to be thoughtful. We, we have a class, a theology class, where we teach even more about that. How do you engage in a way that, that does create this filter and then lets the gate up and... It's okay. 
It's fine. You should filter everything I'm saying here today by the word of God. You really should. There's a, there's a church in Acts. They're famous for this. They're famous for when somebody would speak, they would actually go to, it says, they would go to the scriptures, they would study it to make sure that uh, we don't know who this guy is or we do know who this guy is or this gal is, but, but we don't care. We're going to make sure scripture confirms it. And some of you are weak in this area. You just come and listen. Okay, well, that must be true. You're not growing in your faith and understanding. You're still a baby, as Paul says. And some of you may be walking with Christ for years, and, and you just kind of take it, okay, kind of like a bottle for a baby. Paul talks about, hey, look, grow up. Go buy yourself a fork and a knife and get yourself a steak and start cutting this thing up. I was just talking to someone who, who was relaying a story they knew of someone who came to Christ, and, and they just said, it's, it's just amazing, which it shouldn't be amazing, but it is amazing. This person has been, for only two years or three years, comes to Christ and is just reading the Bible. That's all they do is reading the Bible. They've read it through two times, I think. They're on their third time through. They're just devouring the word of God, reading it, reading it, reading it. That's what it means to be a good student, is preparing, is going deeper on your own. I would encourage you to do that. Soak it in. And the final thing just want to touch on is um, there is another extreme that happens on this whole thing of when teachers go bad <laughs> and when you have them violate that trust. And you see some students, Christ followers, react and become very antagonistic to anyone who would teach and any leader because of the pain and, and they make these vows or they saw it happen to their mom and dad and so anytime someone comes up there it is the, the prove it kind of thing and I'm not going to believe that whatever kind of and uh, my wife and I we, um, our first job we were interviewing for right out of seminary was, um, it was in Beaver Creek, Colorado and uh, we were praying Lord take us here uh, the church building was literally like from here, and the ski slopes were like at Giant Eagle. We had found the promised land. It was 10 minutes, 10 miles down the road from Vail, Colorado. And we're like, oh, Jesus, just take us here. And uh, we went to interview, and we were stunned within the first, first 20, 30 minutes. We could have shut the whole thing down because the pastor who created this antagonistic environment of this in each other's face, it was so unhealthy. It just screamed issues all over. And, and they said, well, talk to us about eternal security or something like this, and we'll see if you're wrong. And I'm like, what? What, what is that? I mean, it was just a combative thing. And, and that often happens when you see teachers abuse their power and their influence and teach false things and not repent of it and not be held accountable for, accountable for it. You also see on the other side people in the church who have been under teachers who've abused 
their position and they leave the church and they never come back. Or maybe they come back years later, but they are still wounded and still hurt. Or even you see some who have enough tenacity to stay within the church, but they're still broken and still hurt by that. And, and, and how do you overcome that? I know there's a lot of stories within our church of people you've been wounded by teachers and pastors under their teaching. And I think what God would have you do today, and I think what he wants to do is to set you free from that. And there's two things I want to do here. James goes on and he talks about how literally the word spoken by a teacher can curse someone. It's a curse, and it's not just a curse. He goes on to talk about it's demonically empowered. Like, it's real stuff. And it holds people. And so what I want to do today is, one, I'm going to represent those the Bible talks about this, and the Bible shows that this can, be, this can happen. I want to represent those who have taught. I'm going to ask your forgiveness on behalf of them. And then we're going to stop, and we're going to break this curse and ask God to heal. Those are the two things I want you to do. or I want you to join me in if that is something that's of your experience and your past. And those who are watching this and are part of this, I just encourage you to pray. Pray that God moves, praise that God sets people free and heals people. Um, so just join me as we pray here. For those of you who have been hurt and wounded by spiritual teacher, spiritual leaders, knowingly or unknowingly, I want to stand as a representative right now Lord, would you take each person to this moment, those moments, those words? In the name of Jesus Christ, I stand in the place of those leaders and those teachers, and I tell you that you were wronged. You were sinned against. It was evil. And I ask your forgiveness. Some of you have felt the scorn of those teachers. You were discriminated against. You were treated as less than. You were called thanks. You've had spiritual teachers and leaders prophesy over you that you're no good, you're not worthy, you're not welcome. And in the name of Christ, I say that that was evil. I am sorry for that. Would you forgive us? And as a teacher, I implore you to forgive. It doesn't mean you'll forget. You may as healing comes, but it means you give up the right to make them pay. You give up your rights for justice, and you hand it all over to Jesus, and it's his to take care of. You rest on this passage that says there's a higher standard and Jesus knows it better than you and he will make sure it's met.
choose. Don't say, I want to. Just say, I forgive. And as you do, watch, see it. The bitterness, let go of the bitterness, let go of the anger, let go of the, the, all the clips that play in your mind. Every video, every track, and the word said, and the facial expression, all, all of it goes. And you just give it all to Christ right now. And you say, I forgive. And you just say aloud to Jesus, I just, I agree with Pastor Scott, what I'm about to say, and just in breaking this curse, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm in full agreement with Pastor Scott and what he's saying. With his power and authority, I come and I declare any satanic, satanic curse spoken over myself, anyone in this room by a spiritual teacher or leader is broken. The power of those condemning words are broken. The stronghold is broken. In Christ's name, I declare myself free from any chains and bonds to what has been said to me, prophesied about me. And in its place, I put the word of God and what Christ says about me. I am his son, I am his daughter. And Jesus, would you right now just speak to each one that's working through this. I pray that you would show them just a picture. You would show them, Lord, how you see them, what is going on. Lord, for the future of our church, would you protect this position of teaching? Would you put people in positions of teaching who are um, humble? Who are teachable? who know the word, who know you. Would you create in us a legacy in our church of people who don't blindly follow but are students of the word like the Bereans in the word, studying the word and know how to follow teachers well. This is such a, a spiritual thing, this church, this family, and what you do. It's all so spiritual. It's all anchored in you and rooted in you. You're the head of this church, Lord. We praise you for it. I pray that you would remain as the head. You would remain as the teacher. We all submit to you, your word, we say it's a good thing. It's the best thing that's ever happened. Would you continue to teach us, each of us, Lord, who you are, 
and understanding your word. Amen.